Almighty God, we are happy to be here in your house, and we rejoice that you are here with us. Move among us as we gather in your name. Be with us as we praise and adore you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Before we read this dramatic passage from the book of Nehemiah, it'll help if you know something more of the setting and the characters. Now, you may know that First and Second Chronicles, uh, those books tell the story of the exile of the people of Israel. Uh, and at the end of that Second Chronicles book, we read that the king of Persia let them return to their homeland. He posted an edict and he sent a herald around all the land to let the people know. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in, Ju in Judah. Whoever is among all, you of all his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go up. Well, when you hear an interesting story, you just can't help but ask the question, and what happened next? That's the secret of all those cliffhanger shows. You know, you want to know, what happened next? Well, the books of Nehemiah and Ezra answer that question. After all this stuff happened in the exile that you read about in the Chronicles, what happened next? The books of Nehemiah and Ezra were written after that exile in Babylon, and when Persia took over, Israel was made a colony. Now, Nehemiah had been, his title was cupbearer to Syria's King Cyrus. Now, most of us would read that and think a cupbearer is kind of like a butler or something, you know, another gloss, my lord, or something, but it was a person of tremendous importance and someone who was really trusted, you know, trusted that he wasn't going to poison the king, but he would watch out for the king. So, King Cyrus uh, had let Nehemiah be named governor of Israel. The times were not good. The people of Israel had returned to find the city in sad shape. The temple was in ruins. For a long time, the rebuilding of the city wall had been unfinished, and it was really, if you read the first six chapters of Nehemiah, you'll see how hard it was to get that done. So the people had been in danger from neighboring groups who did not want them to feel secure. Jerusalem was nearly encircled by enemies. But now, at the reading we have today, the wall's been finished, the city is a little more secure, but they still have internal problems. The people who had been left behind during the exile, some were killed and some were taken off and some were left behind. They weren't real happy about having to accommodate those people who were returning. And many of the people returning had along the way married non-Jewish wives, so their children spoke their mama's languages, not the Aramaic and Hebrew they spoke. So that language difference made it hard for people to communicate and to get along with each other. It's time for the festival of booze. And all the people have gathered 
in front of the water gate on the east side of Jerusalem. It's near but outside the temple. That's important because that meant that way not just the men could be there, but everyone, women and young people too. Now, listen for the word of God from Nehemiah. When the seventh month came and the people of Israel settled in their towns, all the people gathered together in the, in the area in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the, the instruction scroll from Moses according to which the Lord had instructed Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the instruction before the assembly. The assembly was made up of both men and women and anyone who could understand what they heard. Facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud from early morning until the middle of the day. He read it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand it. Everyone listened attentively to the instruction scroll. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for that purpose. And standing beside him were, and here come your 13 names. There were 13 people, some on his right and some on his left. And then standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll and in sight of all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, while raising their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, all 13 of them, well, these 13 names, helped the people to understand the instruction while the people remained in their places. They read aloud from the scroll, the instruction book from God, explaining and interpreting so the people could understand what they heard. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. They said this because all the people wept when they heard the words of the instruction. Go eat rich food and drink something sweet, he said to them and send portions of this to anyone who has, any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to the Lord, don't be sad, because the joy from the Lord is your strength. The Levites also calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, don't be sad. Then all the people went to eat and to drink and to send portions and have a great celebration because they understood what had been said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. When I told some of my friends when I was back at Davidson College of the graduate school offers I had available and that North Carolina State University was my choice, 
One friend tried to warn me away, saying, you don't want to go down there with all those farmers. <laughs> well, I really considered asking who he thought produced all the food he ate, not to mention the cotton and wool and leather and the fine clothes he wore. But I just smiled. You see, he was going to graduate school in Athens, Georgia, to attend the University of Georgia, where my own father earned his college degree in agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, we'll just let him get to Athens and, and find out. Well, agriculture gets a lot more respect than that in the Bible. For example, the people of Israel had three major feasts, and at least two of them were connected with agriculture. The third being the Passover we studied about in Sunday school. Now the Feast of Weeks was associated with the first fruits and the end of the grain harvest. The Feast of Booze was a joyous occasion in the fall at the completion of fruit harvesting. It was usually a happy time, but this time was different. Now three things happened in this story and the 12 verses we read from Nehemiah. This were a, mu a musical piece, you'd say the three movements. The first thing that happens is the priest Ezra reads the law. Now did you notice how he came to read the law of Moses to this great assembly? Whose idea it was? It was not a matter of Ezra saying that all y'all quieten down and stand here for hours and hours while I read you the law of Moses. That's not what happened. The people asked Ezra to read to them. And he didn't just read them a few verses like I did. Nehemiah, the third verse in this chapter says that Ezra read the scroll from early morning to the middle of the day. And it would take longer than that approximately five or six hours to read the whole Pentateuch, that is the first five books in the Bible attributed to Moses. But we know it was from those Hebrew scriptures. Nehemiah tells us that all those men named in the fourth verse that I stood with Ezra. And then what happened? The people raised their hands and said, Amen, Amen. That is, they assented. They agreed to follow the law. Then they bowed down and worshiped God with their faces to the ground. And perhaps you're wondering, and then what happened? <laughs> Verse 7 says another 13 men moved among that huge crowd, interpreting and explaining what he was reading. Now some of that was because of that language difference I mentioned, but also it was just to help people understand what it was they had heard. It let them ask questions, I presume. And then what happened? Well, the people wept. Nehemiah does not explicitly tell us why they wept, but you and I know why people cry. People cry when their heart spills over. Sometimes that's happy and sometimes that's sad and sometimes it's a mix. But when your heart spills over, something in what they heard in the scripture that Ezra read to them moved them to tears. So much so that Ezra told them, don't mourn, don't be sad, but 
Go eat rich food and drink something sweet and send portions to those who have nothing. And what happened next? Well, all the people went to eat and drink and send those portions and have a celebration because they understood what Ezra had said to them. So what do we learn? What do we learn from this ancient story of Ezra reading the law of Moses to the people of Israel? What does it tell us today? Well, first, it shows a hunger for the word of God. The people of Jerusalem asked the priest to read it to them. Lots of times people have a hunger for things that are in the Bible, but they may not know that that's what they're hungry for. They may be like someone who sits down at the restaurant and opens the menu. What? I just don't know what I'm hungry for. I'm hungry for something. Second, it shows the Word of God changes people. It transforms people. The, the question is not just what does the Bible say, but what does the Bible do? Notice that the reading from the Law of Moses was it wasn't just perceived, it was interpreted and explained. We've all heard stories of pe about people being at some choice point and they open the Bible and they let it just fall open to some spot and they close their eyes and they put their finger on a verse to figure out what to do. It's kind of like spinning a lottery wheel or something. Well, there are times that that happens and, and, and we've also heard jokes about how badly wrong that could go. Um, the Bible is really just, it's too profound and it's too complex to depend on that approach regularly. We can all benefit from systematic study of the Bible, reference to authors and commentators who, who've read it in the original Hebrew and Greek. That's why my own primary Bibles are really, I've got at least five, I guess, study Bibles that are uh, a major part of them are notes and the explanations of the terms and the practices and the history and things we might not be familiar with now. The third thing it shows us is that faith is not a solitary event. It's not something you do by yourself. Parts of the life of faith are certainly solitary, especially prayer. Whether that's in the war room, like in the movie of that title, or quiet devotional time reading the Bible, or pondering the majesty and beauty of God's creation. But much of the life of faith involves other people. Over and over in this passage, the word all is used. Just listen to two of the verses again, five and six. Standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe opened the scroll in the sight of all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Then he blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. Amen, amen. The New Testament also testifies to the importance of other people in the community of faith. Uh, Paul's letters, for example, say, outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Wait for one another. Be servants of one another. Bear one another's burdens. And there are dozens more of those one another's where, where a life of faith is connected to other people people.
other believers. Unless you're Robinson Crusoe on the desert island or maybe Matt Damon on Mars <laughs> and you're all by yourself, you really can't be a Christian all by yourself. It involves other people. Well, the fourth thing we learn from this story is that the life of faith is not to be sad, stern, dour, gloomy, judgmental, condemning, and generally yucky. You and I are not made to be going around moaning, oh, despicable me. We are not meant to be sad. Every morning we see the sun rise. Every day we get to live with people we love. Every day we get to smell the coffee or taste the chocolate. Every day we get to feast our eyes on butterflies or roses or ranges of mountain or mountains or the great oceans or any of God's creation. Every day we have work to do and the health and strength to do it. Every day our hearts beat and every day that you and I draw breath. We need to say with the psalmist, or as we just sang, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Or, like Ezra the priest, with a strong voice and a happy heart, we need to affirm this, this day is holy to the Lord. Don't be sad because, and here's the part I want you to remember forever and ever and always, the joy from the Lord is your strength. Thanks be to God. On this day, when most of the country and much of the world is focused on one football game, I probably don't need to remind you to do the first part of Ezra's instruction. You know that part about go eat rich food and drink something sweet. But also remember that he said to them, send portions to those who have nothing. Remember that this day is holy to the Lord. Don't be sad because the joy from the Lord is your strength. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord and to love all God's children.